0: Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Exodus chapter 32. We'll get to our text in just a few minutes. I want to tell you a story about two little boys, maybe you heard it already, who were fighting over who got the first pancakes at breakfast. One of them who was five years old thought he should get it, and the three-year-old thought he should get the first one. Finally, as mama got tired of them arguing, she said, you know, if Jesus were here, boys, he would say, let my brother have it. So the five-year-old looked at the three-year-old and said, this morning, you be Jesus. Sometimes that's the way we are too, isn't it? We want the blessings of God without any sacrifice whatsoever. You know, September 20, 26 has been declared as a National Day of Prayer and Repentance. We've been promoting the event Repent and uh, Return in Washington, D.C., and we invite you to join us if you'd like to. It's still not too late, or we'll be simulcasting that event right here in the sanctuary on Saturday, September 26. would love for you to come and be a part of that as well. It's a National Day of Repentance and Intercession for our nation. We believe the time has come for America to turn back to God, and I'm sure you would agree with that as well. The only answer for the current issues that we're seeing in America today is Jesus Christ. There is no solution. There are no other answers that would be satisfactory or long-enduring. Only Jesus can change the heart of man. What we're seeing in America today is the result of the fact that we've sown to the wind, and now we're reaping the whirlwind. We're seeing what happens when society as a whole and large has no boundaries whatsoever. Do you realize that in our world today, there are those who would tell us that there are not two sexual orientations, male and female, but they declare there's 62 different orientations and that if they have their way, there'll be 63 because they're trying to make pedophilia a sexual orientation as well. How sick is that? It speaks to the fact that our nation desperately needs the hand of God to turn us back again. But we've removed God from government. We've removed God from education. We've removed God from the public square. And now we're seeing the result of a generation raised with absolutely no boundaries whatsoever. We see riots and looting on a daily, nightly basis across America. Can I challenge you, rather than to condemn those folks, Let's start praying for them. Let's start praying that God would turn their hearts and their lives back towards Him, and ask them to uh, ask Him to bring them to Him to a place of repentance and transformation. Even in the church, we need to begin to pray that God would forgive us, restore us, renew us. You see, Peter wrote it very clearly in First Peter four seventeen. Judgment begins. Let me say it the whole verse. The time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. The time has come, he declared. I believe that time is here and that time is now. And the only remedy for our nation, for our church, is repentance, restoration, redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, we look around us today and we see organizations that are being promoted that are clearly anti-God. They don't believe in the living God. They actually mock Him, decry Him. Organizations that are anti-family, that don't believe in the biblical family unit of a husband and wife and children. Organizations that believe in pro-choice rather than pro-life and that it's okay to slaughter babies while they're still in the womb or even as they're coming out of the womb. Organizations that are anti-Israel. Folks, can I challenge you this morning? You need to be very, very careful who you give lip service to and who you give support to. You need to know who they are and what they believe before you buy in to the propaganda. The true believer stands with God. The true believer says we will not have any other gods before us regardless of who or what that may be. So we're living in a day in America when we need to see revival. The church needs to be revived. Our nation needs to be revived. We need to understand that God's will is still that none perish, but that all come to repentance, according to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. We need to declare that and pray that over our church, over our family, over our city, over our nation throughout the month of September, that none should perish, but that all come to repentance. When we do that, you know what we're doing? We're praying into the vision of God. Because the vision of God is reconciliation. The vision of God is that men and women and boys and girls from every culture, every creed, every language group come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So when we look at our text this morning, I want to give you a little background before we read it today. We see that six weeks prior to this event happening at the base of the sermon on the, uh, at the base of Mount Sinai, Israel had renewed the covenant with God. Six weeks ago, they have said, you will be our God, and we will be your people, and we will follow you and obey your commands. Six weeks had passed, and now they find themselves violating that covenant, violating those vows, committing spiritual adultery by worshiping a golden calf. God's people, even us sometimes, try to make God so user-friendly, try to make God so consumer-conscious that we break God's law, and in doing so, we break God's heart. I've come to tell you this morning, God is still a righteous God, a holy God, a just God. And that's what He wants from His people as well. So when God saw that they were worshiping this golden calf, this idol created by the high priest Aaron, He determined He would destroy these people. And He would have, except for one man, a man by the name of Moses one man out of two million who stood in God's way. One man who said, God, please rethink what you're planning to do. God, please don't do what you're planning to do. Rethink it. See, when Moses stood before God, he was becoming an intercessor, standing between God and the people that certainly deserved judgment. He was interceding in behalf of his nation. And I can't think of a better chapter in all of Scripture to describe intercession to us than the 32nd chapter of the book of, Ezekiel, of Exodus. Verses 1 through 6 is the account of how the people with Aaron made an idol, a golden calf, and they said, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. This is Yahweh in a graven image. Read it. It's very clear in those verses. Now we're going to pick up our reading in verse 7. Uh, Exodus 32, verse 7 through 14, from the New International Version. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and there are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out? to kill them in the mountains, to wipe them off the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce anger. Relent, the King James uses the word repent. Repent and do not bring this disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham and Isaac and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give your descendants all this land, I promised them. It will be their inheritance forever." Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Now if you skip down to verse 30 of chapter 32, and let me complete this part of the intercessory prayer we're going to focus on. Verse 30 says, Then the next day Moses said to the people, You've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what great sin these people have committed. They made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, listen to this statement, it's strong. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of the book. Now go lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. Father, we ask that you add your anointing and your blessing to the teaching of your word and the preaching of your word this morning. Prick our hearts, challenge us to intercessory prayer today in Jesus' name. When you read verses or chapters 32 through 34 of Exodus, you realize that Moses was going up and down the mountain, up and down the mountain. He was practicing all kinds of exercise. He may have been going to burn boot camp, right? He was wearing himself up, up and down the mountain. First he talked to God about the people, then he talked to the people about God, then he goes back up to tell God what the people have said, then he comes back down to tell the people what God has said, up and down, back and forth. It's a picture of intercession, where a man or a woman stands between God and a sinful nation and tries to bring the two of them together. Moses is praying to God that God won't do what God said he was going to do. He wants a different outcome, a different result than what God is determined to give. You know, I don't think I really fully understood ex- intercessory prayer until I read Exodus 32. Truthfully, I probably still don't really understand it. But I think differently than I used to think after reading this passage of Scripture. I used to think that intercessory prayer was simply saying very piously and holy, and probably somewhat passively, God, if you'll just reveal your will to me, show me what your plan is, then I'll submit to that will, and I'll pray into that will, and I'll ask that your will, will be will be done on this earth. If I could just find out what your sovereign plan is, what you've already prepared, then my job, God, is simply to submit, to surrender, to resign myself to what you're already determined to do. Kind of a K Sorah Sorah theology. Whatever will be, will be. But when you begin to read chapter 32 of Exodus, you realize that some people may pray that way. Muslims may pray that way. Buddhists may pray that way. Hindus may pray that way. Deists may pray that way because they think God made the earth and then just took his hands off and now it's all up to man. But Christians don't pray that way. Born-again spirit-filled believers don't pray that way. When I read these chapters, I realize that intercessory prayer is not some passive submission to fate, but rather intercessory prayer can be noisy, it can be violent, it can be a shouting match between two wills who are in conflict, and in this case, it's between the will of Moses and the will of God. Now, I don't know anything that will reveal any more about your personal theology than intercessory prayer. When you get on your knees to pray... And when you're going to pray for this nation through the month of September, and especially on September 26th, it will really reveal what you believe about God, what you believe about yourself, and what you believe about the will of God. Are you willing to go to war? Are you willing to struggle? Are you willing to fight, to intercede for God to relent and bring forgiveness and mercy to our nation? When Moses went up that mountain to talk to God, He didn't say, now, Lord, I heard what you said. You said, leave me alone, that you're going to destroy this people. I heard that, God. So obviously, that's your will. It's already determined. Therefore, my job is just to surrender to your will. No, Moses didn't pray like that. He heard what God said. And rather than praying and submitting to that will, if you can even picture it this way, he said, now, God, let's rethink this whole thing. I want you to reconsider God, I don't want you to do something that you might regret tomorrow. And then when I go back and I read it again, I realize that really that's exactly what Moses is saying. It's not sacrilegious. It's not unbiblical. But it's precisely the conversation that occurred between Moses and God. Now, I know, somebody in the room, someone watching online right now is thinking, yeah, but what about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Didn't he pray, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done? He sure did, but he prayed that after asking three times that this cup pass from me, after sweating great drops of blood, after agonizing over the fate that awaited him. If he could have changed it, he would have changed it. But the will of God was set, and he was determined to follow God through. But he asked three times that perhaps it could be altered or changed. It is Exodus chapter 32, I want to outline some truths for you over uh, today and then next Sunday about the power of intercessory prayer. And I hope that you will find these thoughts radical, revolutionary. I hope that you'll find them revelationary, and they'll change your prayer life. The first thing I want to show with you this morning is that true intercession is wrestling with God. It's struggling with God. When we come to God and we say at the first part of our prayer, we actually began, O oh Lord, not my will, but Thine be done. It may sound holy, and most of us often pray that way, but frankly, we pray that way because it's easier. It's a cop-out. It allows us simply to move on with our life. No, God wants us to contend in prayer. To wrestle in prayer. Do you remember Genesis chapter 32? There was a rascal by the name of Jacob. You remember Jacob, right? He was a planter, a supplanter, a deceiver, a liar. He was as crooked as a snake. Matter of fact, when Jacob died, they would have to screw him into the ground. He was so crooked. He was a crooked dude. And Jacob wrestled with the Lord, the angel of the Lord, all one night. And when he grabbed that angel of the Lord, he said, I will not release you until you bless me. I will not release you until the blessing of God rests upon my life. And you know the story, if you don't read it in Genesis 32, he wrestled with them until dawn. And you know what happened? That old rascal, that old liar, that old deceiver, got what he asked for. The blessing of God fell upon his life and he stopped being Jacob and became Israel, a prince of God. Because he refused to let go, he wrestled with the Lord Almighty, and he got what he desired. Now we see what's going on between Moses and God. Moses goes up the mountain. Moses comes down the mountain. He goes back up the mountain. This is what Moses said. This is what God says. It's almost a comedy. I mean, look at it. God said to Moses, You go down the mountain, Moses, because your people that you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. Stand back. Get out of the way, because I'm going to destroy them. There's not going to be anything left but smoke. They're going to be gone. Leave me alone and let me do what I want to do. And then Moses, you can it's almost humorous, looks back and got, at God and says, God, are you sure about that? My people that I brought out of Egypt? Hey, God, just a minute, time out. Don't you remember the backside of the desert? The wilderness where I spent 40 years tending sheep? Don't you remember that I was doing my own thing, going about my business, minding my sheep, when all of a sudden a burning bush appeared, and you spoke to me out of that bush, and then you told me to throw down my rod, and I did, and it turned into a snake, and you said, pick it up, and I did, and it turned back into my rod, and then you said to go to Egypt and tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. Do you remember that? Back and forth they went. It was your people, God, that you brought out of Egypt, not my people that I brought out of Egypt. It's almost like Moses and God are having an argument over who's really responsible for this bunch of rascals down at the base of that mountain. And really, God knew he was responsible. But in this conversation, he's inviting Moses into a conflict. He's inviting Moses to challenge his will. He's inviting Moses to stand up and say, no, don't destroy them. Moses goes back to God and says, Lord, think again. Think again. He even has the audacity to tell God in verse 12, you need to repent. Now, I know it's one thing when God tells you and I, we need to repent, we understand that, we relate to that. But I've never heard someone say to God, you need to repent. I've been to a lot of prayer meetings, but never I've heard someone say, oh God, you need to repent about what you're going to do. Change your mind. You see, the word repent simply means to change your ways, to think again, to change your behavior. Do we have a clue that that's what intercession is really all about? You see, the ministry of intercession is a call. It's a call to come and piously submit to God's sovereign plan that can never be changed. No, it's not. It's a call to challenge. It's a call to conflict. It's a call to wrestle. It's a call to war and ask God to change His mind. Throughout Scripture's Sometimes in that call and in that conflict, man wins, sometimes God wins. But it's always a wrestling match. So on September 26th, when you come to this room, when you come to pray for our nation, are you going to say, oh, Lord, you've already decided the fate of the United States of America. I'm just going to submit to whatever you've decided. May your will be done. Listen, we know God's judgment is on America But it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to wrestle with God and say, God, revive us, redeem us, rescue us, forgive us one more time. If you don't come with that attitude, just stay home. You're not going to help anybody. You're not going to make a difference. You'll waste your time and God's time if you come with that attitude. We have to understand that intercession is a call to understand the fact that we have to wrestle with God it's all right to say as moses did god we know what you're thinking we know what you planned and i'm asking you to reconsider i'm asking you not to do what you said you're going to do kind of scary to pray like that isn't it you know i grew up in a generation where we used to have these elderly ladies in the community in the church that were called prayer warriors anybody remember that Maybe some of you are that prayer warrior. They all had little buns on top of their head and carried their Bible and wore long dresses with long sleeves. You know what I'm talking about? Those ladies. Yeah, the prayer warriors. And I used to think, well, who are they warring with? Who are they struggling with? And then it dawned on me, oh, they're fighting the devil. They're warring against the devil. They're fighting the forces of darkness. And that's absolutely true. But may I tell you, a part of being a real prayer warrior Is also being willing to wrestle with God and asking God not to do what He's determined to do. Jacob was a prayer warrior. Moses was a prayer warrior. Jesus was a prayer warrior. He's looking for people yet today who are bold enough to say, God, don't do what you plan to do. I used to hear those old ladies say these things like, we're going to storm the gates of heaven. And I would think, well, wait a minute. Heaven's a perfect place. That's where all you want to go. Heaven's beautiful. It's a place of peace and love and joy and no more sorrow, no more tears and streets of gold. And forever and ever we're living with Jesus. It's a great place. Why would you need to storm the gates of heaven? That's because I didn't understand what they understood. That there are times you have to wrestle with God in prayer. You have to ask God not to do what He said He's going to do. You have to be determined to war against it and to fight against it. P.T. Forsyth said, Sometimes God's will is that we surmount His will. Oh, that's so good, let me say it again. Sometimes God's will is that we surmount His will. What does that mean? Sometimes God's higher will is that we resist His lower will. God's inviting Moses to hear what God's will is. I'm going to destroy them. And then resist it. The nature of intercessory prayer is we wrestle with God. We struggle with God. See what's really happening here? Moses is praying into the vision of God. What's the vision of God? The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance, First Peter 3, 9. God sent his only begotten Son into the world. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But verse 17 of John 3 says, For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Oh, understand God's perfect will. Understand God's vision. Pray into God's vision. God's vision isn't to destroy sinners. It's to save sinners. And it's up to you and I to pray into that vision. Pray into that will to struggle with God and wrestle with God. So that we can see that salvation occur in the hearts and lives of men and women. First, we understand that intercessory prayer is wrestling with God. Second, intercessory prayer is one man standing in the gap and changing the course of human history. One man standing before a holy God can change the way God works. That's revolutionary stuff. I hope you get that in your spirit today. I hope you understand that you are an army. And if you will pray and if you will stand and if you will believe, things will change in hearts and lives. God told Moses, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm done with them. They're stiff-necked people. I should have known they were going to do this before I brought them out of Egypt. That's what God said to Moses. And Moses said, not so fast. Let's think about what you're saying. And he used intercession in order to bring the result that really was the vision of God. And that result was that those people would repent and turn their hearts back to God. Verse 14 of the International Translation says, Then the Lord relented. Again, the King James uses the word repented. Then the Lord repented. And with all due respect to people that are far more knowledgeable in the Hebrew language than I am, maybe it should have said, Then God gave in. What do you think about that? Then God relented. God gave in. God changed his mind because Moses interceded. The language of Scripture is the same language that's used for a sinner when he repents of his sin and turns from it. They repent. They change their behavior. They change their actions. They change their mind. This is the same word used when it says God relented or God repented. Now, I know God's not a sinner, and God doesn't need to repent of any sins whatsoever. But we do need to understand there are times when God wants to resist his lower will that we can find his higher will. His lower will may be the destruction of America, the damnation of America, the judgment of America, but His higher will is that none should perish, but that all come to repentance. The word repent literally means to change, to turn. In fact, that's how the New American Standard translates it. God changed His mind. The power of intercessory prayer. Are you listening to me this morning, church? The power of intercessory prayer is that the prayer of one man can change God's plans. Now, if that doesn't blow your mind, nothing will. If that doesn't challenge you to pray, nothing will. If that doesn't make you want to get down on your knees and pray and ask God to do something powerful and mighty, nothing will. So you're saying to me, preacher, one man Praying to God on behalf of two million people changed what God was going to do. That's what the scripture says. I didn't make it up. Read it for yourself. It says God relented. God repented. How audacious it is when we dare to pray in that fashion. But think what might happen if you dared to pray that way. Maybe your family would get saved. Maybe your co-workers would come to know Jesus. Maybe our city would turn towards God. Maybe our nation would know a nationwide revival that would sweep people into the kingdom of God if only we would dare to pray in that fashion. It's not the first time we read in the Scripture that God changed His mind. Maybe you think it is. Actually, you can look in Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. And it says that after God created the world, He looked at the earth and He saw that every intention of man's heart was only evil continually. And the Scripture says, and God repented that he ever made man. God said, what was I thinking when I did that? Now, I'm not sure that's an accurate translation, but God repented certainly is. It's not very far off. That's when he sent the flood and wiped everyone out except Noah and his family saved them in the ark. Or you can go to the 15th chapter of 1 Samuel. And you can see that God had chosen Saul to be the first king over Israel. And then Saul began behaving like an absolute reprobate, a wild man, an idiot. And God says, I repent that I made Saul king. He was sorry he did it. He changed his mind over Saul. And then he said, he's not king anymore. Samuel, go anoint the son of Jesse. And Samuel found David and anointed him to be the next king over Israel. And Somehow we want to say, but God isn't supposed to act like that. God isn't supposed to change his mind. God isn't supposed to respond to the prayers of people in that fashion. Well, let me just say to you, in order for intercession to be effective... You first and foremost have to know God. You know God through His Word. If you don't read and study His Word, then you don't know who God is and what God does. You don't understand that God does respond to the prayers of men and women. You see, when we know God, when we have a relationship with God, then we can boldly approach the throne of grace that's what Jesus told us in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. We have not a high priest tuning out to be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us boldly approach the throne of grace, that we can find mercy, receive grace to help in times of need. Well, I don't know about you, but I can't think of a greater time of need than right now in America. We're facing the most critical crisis we've ever seen in the history of our country. It's time for the people of God to boldly approach the throne of grace. Let me tell you the greatest example, or my favorite example, let me say it this way, of God changing his mind, of God repenting. It comes from what I think is the funniest book of the Bible. If you've never read it, you ought to go home this afternoon and read the whole book. It's not very long. You can do it in a short period of time. It's the book of Jonah. You know the story, right? God told his prophet Jonah to go down to Nineveh and give him a message. And this was the message. In 40 days, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to wipe you off the face of the earth. You're going to be burned up. Now, Nineveh was Israel's enemy. You would think Jonah would jump up and down and say, Whoopee! I finally get to pronounce a word of destruction upon our enemies. But that's not what happened. What did he do? Read the story. Instead of going east towards Nineveh, He got on a boat, and he went west. He was going the exact opposite direction. Finally, God gets Jonah's attention by putting him in the belly of a whale. And he stayed there for three days, and finally the gastric juices of that old fish got to him, and he relented. He gave in. He said, okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll obey you after all. You know the story, that fish vomited him up. Jonah brushed himself off. We hope he took a bath first. Brushed himself off, and he went to Nineveh. And he stood in downtown Nineveh at the corner of Main Street and Broadway. And he yelled at the top of his voice, Forty days, and you're going to be destroyed. God says, Forty days is all you have left, and I'm going to burn you up. You're going to be destroyed. You know what happened? The Ninevites listened. They repented. And it says that they said they were sorry for disobeying God, that they were going to change their lives. You know what happened next? Oh, you're going to love this. God repented. God changed his mind. God relented. And because the Ninevites repented, God said, okay, I'm not going to destroy you. You know what happens next? Jonah left the city. He went outside the city, sat under a tree. He sat down and he pouted. Have you ever seen a kid pout? I can almost imagine it in my mind. His arms are crossed, his legs are crossed, his back is against that tree. His old bottom lip is coming out and quivering. I can remember my mama saying, if you don't pull that lip in, a rooster's going to sit on top of it. You've seen kids pout before. It's almost hilarious, isn't it? All because they didn't get their way. Finally, God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I don't get it. Why are you upset? What's the problem? And Jonah says, I knew you were going to do that. That's just the kind of God you are. I knew that if I went to Nineveh and I told him you're going to, destroy them in 40 days, they would repent, and then you would change your mind, and you wouldn't burn them up, I knew that's what you would do. It's a funny book, but it shows us God changes His mind. If I understand what the Scripture is saying about the call to intercession, it's a call to ask God to change His mind. Judgment has been pronounced upon America. Matter of fact, it's been said that if God doesn't judge America, He'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. There's no question judgment is upon America. But it's not too late for the people of God to say, God, would you relent? Would you repent? Would you change your mind? Would you revive us again? Many have said it is too late, but it's not too late. Many have said America is too far down the road to rebellion against God. It's even unconceivable for God to do anything but destroy us. But I believe God still is waiting for a people to ask him to change his mind. Is it too late? One of the calls is to say, Lord, we haven't built a golden calf in America. No, we haven't. We've built a plethora of golden calves in America. And we know what you want to do to people who worship idols. But God, we're asking you not to. We're asking you, as you did to Nineveh, to relent, to repent, to spare us and to spare our nation and to revive us and to revive your church and revive this nation. You know what's interesting to me? In the midst of these riots that are happening across our country, people are coming to Jesus Christ. On the same streets that they're riding. they're being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They're expressing faith in Him. You know what that tells me? That tells me the majority of these young men and women are looking for something that's real that's lasting, that's eternal. They're looking for an answer. And it's up to you and me to begin to pray, to intercede, to wrestle with God, to move in the power of intercession, to see God change His mind. Bow your heads with me this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, speak into your church today. Challenge us as never before to move in intercession, to believe you for greater things to believe that you are a God who can still repent and relent and not do what you said you're going to do. Move your people today for the cause of praying into your vision and praying into your will that none perish but that all come to salvation. I pray it in Jesus' name. If you're watching this broadcast, if you're in the house this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, right now is your opportunity. Would you simply pray this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. Come into my heart, change my life. I receive you as my Lord. I accept you as my Savior. I confess you, and I confess my sin. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, you've taken the first step on the road to becoming a Christian. You've asked Him to forgive you. Now tell someone around you, either in the house or in your home or in your car, I just ask Jesus to come into my life and to get into a good church, whether it's this church or another one across the nation, and begin learning about Jesus and following him and letting him do good things in your heart and in your life. The altars are open this morning. If you'd like to come and intercede for America, I encourage you to do that. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more.